0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at HiltonHeadPCA.com. As we talk and continue to talk about ministry, ministry especially to the least of these, identifying over the last several weeks that Christ came into the world to care for uh, those who are, in the eyes of culture, in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of the world, least. That means they're not most. That means they're they're the ones who have great and profound needs within their lives. That Christ said, I came, in his words, he said, I came to minister to the sick. That the well don't need a physician, the sick do. That I came to minister to those who couldn't minister to themselves. That I came to do this and that it's a part of who he is. It's a part of his, if he had a DNA, it's part of his very DNA. And if we were to sum up all of the sacrifice that we've ever sacrificed cumulatively as a congregation, even in all the history of the world, it still pales in comparison to what Christ was willing to sacrifice by giving up the very throne room of God, uh, the place where he was with the Father, it says he emptied himself Becoming as a man, dwelling among us under the very natural order that he called into being, under the natural laws and under the moral laws, and yet doing it perfectly and suffering under that time, even to the point of death, death uh, as a criminal, as a condemned one outside of the gates of the city on a cross that he was buried, that he suffered hell itself, that he didn't descend into hell. Our Apostles Creed says he went to hell. It's not that he physically went into hell, but he suffered what hell is, and that's the turning of the Father, the separation of the Father uh, from his creation. And in that, he experienced what all of those who would be judged as sinners should experience. And then he was raised from the dead and is seated on the right hand of God. And he gave us this incredible transaction. Where he said, now, because I've done this on your part, I look, and you who couldn't save yourself, you who were unable to come and to be righteous enough and good enough and legal enough uh, and all of those things, I'm going to give you my perfect righteousness. And so you may wonder, well, Bill, this is like a little three-week little blurb kind of in between. You had Romans 1 through 8, then we jumped into Advent, and you had to fill a few weeks before you jump back into Romans. And I want you to hear this. No, that all flows together. Because you need to understand that in Romans chapter 1 through 8, what we were talking about and studying through the fall, speaks about our justification, our position with God through Christ Jesus, that we are declared righteous by him. Uh, that, God, uh, that Christ takes his notebook filled with all of his perfection, and we have our notebook filled with, well, you know what it would be filled with? All of your stuff. All your thoughts, all your emotions, everything you've ever done. All in one big massive notebook with your picture and face right on the front of it. And here's what Christ does when you come and you say, I believe in you and I trust you as my Savior. He says, here, you take my notebook, I'll take yours. And now let's go see Dad. And Dad, the father, looks and says, hey McCutcheon, I need to see your notebook before I let you into heaven. And I go, "Here you go. He goes, perfect, perfect perfect, my son, perfect, I see Christ in you, welcome. And he looks at his son, and Christ goes, yeah, I took all his stuff, dad, remember? Scars, I've already done it once for all, I don't have to do it again, he gets to go in, he's your child. When that hits, it leads you to ministry to the least of these. Because you realize, I'm the least of these. I couldn't have done this on my own. And so it wells up within us, this understanding and this beauty of our theology driving our actions. Does that make sense? I want us to be a deeply and profoundly theologically accurate church that we know it. I want you all to know your theology. I want you to know when someone says, just give me Jesus, don't give me that theology. Say, I have no clue how to do that, but I can tell you about my theological Jesus, that who he is as God, equal with God the Father in glory and in power, that he came fully man, fully human, and you can go through all of your theology and say, and now I know through the incredible transaction of the gospel, which I have seen in Romans 1 through 8, that I am now standing before my God justified. And I look and I look around the world and I think, oh, if he did this for me, I can go do this for others. Do you see where it drives us and it moves us? So they're always connected in the middle and now we 're coming and connecting all of these dots and coming to the conclusion of at least this three week series on the least of these and we 're going to look at what I think uh, is an essential ingredient it 's absolutely necessary for us to have this component so that we will minister and Some of you are again and are looking for the pragmatic what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are the plans that we have we 're working on those plans we, we want we 've got some thoughts. You know, in March, we're putting together a date and we're going to call it just a serve Saturday where we're going to go around to agencies within Bluffton and within uh, Hilton Head and we're going to see, okay, this one needs six volunteers and this one needs four and this one needs three and this one needs ten and we're going to gather here at the church and we're going to send out teams and we're going to serve our community, the least of these. But that's kind of on the big scale. Here's what I know about service and ministry to the least of these. I live in a house on a cul-de-sac and I have a widow who lives next to me, and I have a widow who lives across from me, Uh, and I know that Christ says, care for the widows. Guess what? I don't need the church to to create a widow ministry. I, I need the gospel to take hold in my heart and break my heart when I see my neighbors and go, how can I care for them? How can I sacrifice out of the incredible generosity that Christ has given to me, that he is all I need and trust, that I can then go and I can care for their needs? And by caring for their needs, it doesn't mean just invite them to church. That may come around at some point, but it's just meeting their needs. It's being a really good neighbor in Christ's name, in the hope that they'll come to faith. But at the same time, you're not using them to feel good about yourself. So if they reject Christ, you still are loving them and caring for them. You, worry, you let God worry with the outcome We simply care for them and the needs that they have. And so we're going to talk and we're going to have at some point some more uh, church-wide events and some ministries into the community and the needs of the community. But in the meantime, folks, all of you have places that you can serve. And God has uniquely, if you believe theologically in the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of all things and nothing happens by chance, and that means you are living in the house in which you are living in, in the community in which you are living in, with the neighbors in which you have, because God ordained from the beginning of time and before time to put you there so that you could minister in his name. Amen? So, there's your ministry. Have a great day. We finished early. You're going, yeah, really? <laughs> no. No. Uh, We're going to talk for a few minutes about compassion. This ingredient that I believe we have to have. Because before we really go out and to minister in his name without being abusive. Without using and abusing other people to make us feel good about ourselves. To earn our way into heaven. uh, To manipulate and to do things so that we uh, get the credit in the end. To free us from that we need to have and to see within ourselves the very heart of God. Through the passion uh, of the Holy Spirit a building in us, and a word that comes over and over and over again through the Scriptures is the word compassion. So let's pray now that God would open His word to us, teach us that we would see it, grow in it, and respond to it. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. And I pray that we would see today the compassion of our God towards us and towards all of the least of these, that we would not resist Your call, to compassion, and that we would go out in whatever circumstance in which we find ourselves, that we would go out and we would serve in your name. To Christ be the glory. Amen. So the point is very simple. Compassion is absolutely necessary for the Christian or for the church to be engaged in ministry to the least of these. We're going to see first and foremost that compassion is at the very heart and is a trait of who God is. We talked a few weeks about mercy, compassion, very similar. Just a nuance on this, uh, the compassion of the Lord. We're going we're gonna to pause for a moment and be careful not to, to resist the Lord's call to compassion because there is a warning in Scripture not to resist his call to compassion. Then we're going to see that our current circumstances uh, do not determine our work of compassion in the world. So we're going to see that there's God is compassionate. We're going to see that we need to not resist his call to compassion and see that our circumstances don't determine and drive whether or not we're going to be compassionate. And then I'm just going to ask you a question at the end. So, the first thing, see the compassion of the Lord. I hope that each of you has a Bible, maybe even has an electronic Bible. Um, I hope that you have Bible software, maybe on your computer, and that something like Lagos or the ESV Study Bible Online because what you can do is what I did at the beginning of this week: type in "compassion," hit enter, and you know what these things do? They spit out every place in Scripture that uses the word compassion, and then you can do this really cool word study, and you can find—and that's really what I did to begin the Genesis of this study—in looking at compassion. And what I found is that compassion is the very character, is the very character of God. When Moses, in Exodus chapter 4:34 was with the Lord on Sinai, and he was there, and he said, God, I want to see your glory. I want you to pass by in front of me. What an arrogant and audacious comment uh, for the God of the universe uh, to be uh, subjected to. But he said, you can't, but I will introduce myself to you in this way. In Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before him. It says that he covered up Moses in the cleft of the rock, and the Lord passed before him And listen to the words that the Lord said as he walked by, introducing himself and reminding Moses, who's covered in the cleft of the rock by the hand of the Almighty God, the Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. In his introduction of himself to Moses in this incredibly intimate moment, he said, know this about me, I am compassionate and merciful. It is what drives my heart. I am just, he says that, Uh, I am holy, I am righteous, but in my heart there is a compassion, Because if I was only just, if I was only holy, if I was only righteous, then when Adam messed up, it all ended. But I am incredibly compassionate. And so my heart broke with Adam and Eve. And even before there was a plan to send the seed of the woman into the world to crush the seed of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. And that Christ, that seed, was going to come into the world. And through Christ, I am going to show compassion on whom I show compassion. I will show justice on whom I need to show justice. But compassion on whom I decide to show compassion. Because I am a merciful and compassionate God. Some of you are from traditions uh, that you look at the Old Testament and God is the vengeful. Uh, he is the reckless. He is the harsh God. God. And right in the middle of the Old Testament, in the introduction of himself to his people through Moses, he says, I'm compassionate. It's at the very heart of what makes him God, is compassion. And so you say, okay, that's good, but that's Old Testament, Bill. All right, let's just run over to the New Testament. Let's look at Christ, the manifestation of God, the full God in this world, uh, fully God, fully man. And you would read in Matthew chapter 14, when Christ had just heard uh, that his best friend, his cousin, uh, his fellow mate in ministry... John the Baptist had been beheaded at the whim of a teenage girl dancing before her stepfather. He was heartbroken. And in verse 13 it says, now when Jesus heard this, that news, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. He wanted to be alone. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he said, get out of here. Can't you see that I'm heartbroken and I'm tired and I just want to be alone and I've had a bad week on top of a bad month on top of a bad year and I could be in heaven but I'm down here with you people. Leave me alone. You don't have that. I don't either because it says he went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. In one of the other trans- other uh, stories, or the other uh, accounts, It says that he looked at them as a shepherd, as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them and ministered to them. And it says he healed them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his compassion didn't stop. And the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You show them compassion. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. He ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and all those who ate were five thousand men besides the women and children. So it's of the very character and nature of who Christ is to have compassion, to be compassionate, You could go to some other passages. You could see the compassion is important in the story of the good Samaritan in the parable. That there is the Jewish man who's beaten and robbed on the side of the road. And the leaders of the church, the pastors and the elders uh, and the men of the church uh, passed by on the other side. And they showed no compassion to him because they had to get on their way. And the one who shouldn't have shown compassion, the Samaritan, a half blood of, of Samaritan blood and Jewish blood, hated by the Jews and hating the Jews. He should have been the one to look at the man and go, he got what he deserved. it says that he showed compassion to the man and he ministered to him and sacrificed his own time and wealth and care to minister to a man who hated him he showed compassion for the man or if you read in Luke chapter 15 of Jesus story uh, of the parable of the two lost sons that when the youngest son known for many as the prodigal was coming back and he was devastated by his sin and by his choices and by his actions. It says that the father looking out on the horizon saw the son coming at a, dish, at a distance and having compassion on him. The father ran to him. Oh, there's so much to learn uh, in that study. He ran to him and he embraced him. He touched him. He took his son and clothed his nakedness. He gave him back his dignity with his ring and he invited him into a banquet feast because he had compassion on a son who was rebellious who had basically said to his father, I want you dead and I want your wealth. And he had compassion on this boy because he knew at his heart how lost he was. Or When Jesus was walking through the villages and there was a widow whose son had died, Jesus could have gone a widow. Okay, she's a woman in this culture. She has nothing. And now she really has nothing. But he could have kept walking by. But instead it says Jesus moved by compassion, healed her son and raised him from the dead. He was moved even to compassion by a widow who had no standing in society, no voice. But he looked upon her distress and upon her loss and moved by compassion. So, folks, it's pretty clear, isn't it? I don't think there's a lot of pushback that at the very heart of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is compassion. It is is a heartbreakingness over the needs of other people and of their lostness. Not just the lostness in their sin, but in the lostness of the consequence of their sin, of their bad decisions. That you don't see God standing back and going, you get what you deserve. But his heart was broken. And he moved. And he touched. And he got dirty. And he loved in that way. That's at the very heart of the God that we say that we love. The God that we want to be like. That we want our church to be a church that says we want to know Christ. We want to know him and all of his attributes. And especially of his compassion. And to make him known then through those same attributes of compassion to the world around us. Compassion. See the compassion of the Lord. His call to compassion. Now the next point is this. Be careful not to resist his call to compassion. Be careful, there's a warning. Be careful to resist, not to resist his invitation, his mandate to be compassionate. As a transition into this point, a movement in the late 1800s, enlightenment but moving in quickly into the American church in the early 1900s, movement which we would call today liberalism, which moved the church from a church on a foundation of its theology and proper theology Uh, moved because what happened in quick form was that many within the church realized that the church was all about its theology and it didn't really care about people that it wanted to know that Presbyterians were leading the charge in the middle of this saying hey we're people of the book we know our theology we know our stuff we know God oh I mean we don't care for poor people I mean we don't mess with widows we we don't mess around with other races and we don't get involved in those things or the immigrant but we know our theology and so there was this movement that began and many said forget your theology we're going to care for the poor and so the pendulum swung in many churches which today would be characterized by many mainline churches that swung from saying we're going to shape our theology to to fit what we see as a need to care for the poor and the needy and so their theology they were willing to to lose the beauty of their true theology in order to care for the poor. And guess what happened to most of the conservative bible believing theologically accurate churches? I perjure not perjure but I condemn myself in this. They moved to Hilton Head. They moved to the suburbs. And the beautiful high steepled churches that used to preach the gospel from the high and lifted up pulpits behind the beauty of stained glass and all the architecture that screamed of the transcendent God coming near to his people. All of a sudden, the neighborhoods around them were filled with people who they didn't want to be associated with and with the poor and with the immigrant and with the black uh, and with others. And they moved into the suburbs and they would drive into church. And then after a while, it was inconvenient for them to drive from their suburbs into the cities. And so the churches moved into the suburbs with them and they left the poor and the needy and the least of these to deal with themselves and here we are so what do we do well we say okay that may be the case and it is the case in so many people's lives but we're now here and we can continue in a life of isolation in a life of not mixing Or we can recognize right here where God brought us by His sovereign will, by His choice to bring us here into Hilton Head, into Bluffton, that we can now see that there are people right here. We don't have to go to cities to find them. We can find least of these people right here in Hilton Head and in Bluffton. Do you know that? Do you recognize that? There are people desperately in need. And there's no farther that we can move away, by the way. And so we're here. And now we can either close the gates and circle the wagons... Or we can recognize, wow, maybe God, maybe for mixed motives on my part, but God in his pure motives has me here to care for the needs of those who are around me, to see the immigrant, to see the person from a different nationality, to see the person who's who's uneducated, who's caught in poverty, who's caught in cycles of sin and addiction, to see that God has placed me here and he has a compassion for the least of these and he wants me to go out and minister to them. And the words of Zechariah, I'm sure, ring true right in your head right now, don't they? you read Zechariah you're going no but Zechariah the contemporary of Haggai who we read last week a contemporary of Nehemiah sent back during the time of Darius the king in the exile of Egypt or of Israel they were sent back into Jerusalem to rebuild the wall to reestablish the city to rebuild the temple there and in the middle of that time Zechariah the prophet was prophesying and in chapter 7 verses 8 to 14 he said this the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying thus says the Lord of hosts render true judgments Show compassion and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and tuned and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate so so that no one went to and fro and pleasant land was made desolate. In that passage, I want you to see this. God explicitly commands us to show compassion. I don't know how much clearer it could get. Thus says The Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts render true judgments, be honest and people of integrity, show compassion and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant, the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. I'm not sure how much clearer that can become, right? Thus says the Lord. If you're a parent, though, it goes something like this: "Hey, curfew, 11 o'clock tonight. Got it? Got it, Dad. 11 o'clock." And then right around 10:27, a text comes and awakens you from a deep sleep. Did you mean 11? Could have sworn I said 11." Not sure what other 11. I'm not talking 11 a.m., but 11 tonight. It's clear. In a house, the father, the parent, stands and says to the child, Thus says dad. And the child is supposed to go, Yes, sir. That's actually how it's supposed to work. God, our dad, says to us, Thus says the Lord of hosts, by the way, the top of the food chain. The preeminent one. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Show compassion to one another. Show compassion to one another. There's no wiggle room. Oh, you mean compassion to people like us? No, compassion. Then he lists them out. To the widow, to the sojourner, to the fatherless, to people who don't serve. This is who I want you to show compassion. So there is an explicit command of God for us to show compassion. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, I want us, we're on a really base level here. This isn't, this isn't complex, and it's not theology, you know, upper level. It's 101. So God explicitly commands us to show compassion. Interesting, though, verses 11 and 12. There's the tendency within the human heart to refuse God's wishes. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts, had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Do you see the picture? It says that they refused to hear. Parents, ever seen that? Refused to hear. They turned a cold shoulder. And then it says they stopped their ears. You want to know what that looks like biblically? I don't hear you. I don't hear you. I'm not listening. You can talk all you want, but I'm not listening. They became juvenile. So just look at the picture. God speaks. Take care of the poor. Care for them. Show compassion as I've shown you compassion. Show compassion to one another. That's the tendency of your heart, not of the person sitting next to you, of your heart that's still impacted by the fall and impacted by sin, that the tendency of the human heart is to turn away from the explicit commands of God and not to listen. And here's what happens within it. Your heart doesn't just die, it becomes diamond, hard, cold, and impenetrable. So be careful. If you want to hear the word of the Lord, if you want to be sensitive to it, put your hands down. Look. Be attentive to the word of the Lord. And then even when he says something that you don't like, you still have to say, oh, Lord of hosts, top of the food chain, dad, head of the universe, creator. Okay. I don't necessarily like it, but I will do it. I'll be home at 11. Dad, trust me. Because if we don't, this incredibly terrible thing happens. There is a consequence. Verse 12, B and following. Therefore, because of their hardening of hearts, because they refused to listen to his explicit command to show compassion and mercy to one another and to those that were in the land, therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so you called, they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that not one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. There's a consequence. And God says the consequence is this. I'm going to turn hold shoulder to you and you can call on me and you can ask me to help you in your marriage and you can ask me to help you with your kids and you can ask me to help get you out of whatever situation you're in and you can ring your bell and you can try to demand that the butler show up and to fix your life and all of that but I don't hear you I'm not listening to you because you haven't listened to me and shown compassion And so if in your own life, and you're the only one who can diagnose this and tell this, if in your own life you feel there is a distance and a wall between you and the Lord and that you pray and your prayers are not being heard, Scripture gives not only this instance but several others of that the prayers of Christians are not heard often by the Lord for sin in our lives. And one of those is this big red dummy light. You know what a dummy light is on your car? It it flashes and it says, hey, hey, hey. You can't see inside the engine, but something's not right. And if you don't listen to this dummy light, everything's going to go kaput. My oldest son found that out driving home uh, uh, Thursday night. That as he was heading down I-26, that the dummy light for oil started to flicker. I wonder what that little light is. That's interesting, a little flickering light. Don't see that very often. Then it glowed bright red. And he kept on going. And you know what happened? Poof! I picked him up at the I ninety five tire and truck center. And a little rod that's supposed to work for the engine went straight out through the side of the engine. And that car is kaput. It's dead. It's done. I'm getting an offer of a whopping hundred bucks for the car. Hundred and fifty, anybody? No. Just joking. There are dummy lights within our lives as well that say, if there's a lack of intimacy with God, pause for a second, step back, turn off the engine, step back and look around and go, okay, I'm going to church, that's good. I'm tithing, that's good. Uh, I'm in Christian fellowship, that's good. I'm reading my scriptures, I'm doing some of these things, okay, I'm seeing some of these things, but what is it, there's a lack, what's going on? Oh, maybe it could be, I could care less about people who are in need. And I'm so consumed with my own needs. And maybe God is showing us there, that your lack of compassion and care for others within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ is causing there to be a barrier between the two of us, and it's actually causing your heart to die. Remember we said last week we talked about poison and how all of this becomes a poison and leads to death? So that light may be flickering for you. And my encouragement to you would be not to ignore it, there's a weightiness to this moment, and that's okay. Because I don't want us to be a church that looks really good. We've got great buildings. We've got finances moving out. We've got new members. We've got a lot of kids, and we've got students, and we've got staff, and we've got all of this. But if we don't have compassion for those in our midst and around us, there's a fear that comes to me. I don't want us to become so cold and dead inside that it's like diamond and impenetrable. And we think that it's beautiful in life. And God says, no, that's actually death. So be careful not to resist the call of compassion of the Lord. The last thing before I ask you the question at the end is this. Your current circumstances do not determine whether or not you should be compassionate. For some of you, you're going, yeah, but Bill, you have no clue how bad my world is right now. You have no idea how, how my family is, is just spinning, how my business is spinning, and my finances, and when I get things together, then I'll show compassion. Let me just read you quickly three places. We've already looked at two of them. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus had just lost his best friend. He was grieving. He wanted to be alone. He wanted to go sit on the north end of the Sea of Galilee in a desolate place so that he could weep and be alone. And in the middle of his loss, in the middle of his devastation, all these people showed up. And it says right smack dab in the middle of his grief, in the middle of losing someone that he loved, in the middle of a devastating event within his own life, he still showed compassion. Interesting. The people in Zechariah's day were an oppressed people. They didn't have walls around their city. They didn't have enough crops. They didn't have temples built. They didn't have warriors. They didn't have all of this, and they were being oppressed on every single side. And in the middle of their oppression, in the middle of their difficulty, in the middle of their persecution, he said, "Be compassionate." He said, "I don't care what your circumstances are. I care about your circumstances, but your circumstances don't determine whether you should be compassionate." And then if you were to read over into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and following, it says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that is, you came to faith that you knew God, you endured and a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve and persevere to the end their souls. Right in the middle of their own personal affliction and their own suffering, the people continued to show compassion. So whatever circumstance in which you find yourself, I don't know. And some of them are devastating, and I get it. It doesn't allow us the freedom to go, I'm not going to care until tomorrow. Once my world gets settled, then it's right smack dab in the middle of whatever circumstance you're in now that God is not just inviting you. He is demanding us, you, me, to be compassionate. Even, it says, at the very plunder of our own property and of our own health and our own well-being. So our current circumstances do not determine our compassion. So, concluding. Our ministries, both personal and corporate, will be effective and genuine only to the degree that they are motivated by a true compassion from hearts of people who see themselves as the objects of God's compassion. The extent and the depth of our compassion for those who of others in the church and around the church is in direct correlation to how deeply we identify ourselves with a helpless one before God who had compassion on us. So here is a very simple question for you as we end. Team, I can invite you to come on up. Do you believe that you are the undeserving object of God's compassion in Christ Jesus? Do you personally Believe that you are the undeserving object of God's compassion for you in Christ Jesus. That is an incredibly simple yes or no. I was at a meeting yesterday and a question was asked and it was this yes or no question and the man rambled on for three minutes, finally getting around to no. Folks, this is simple. If the answer is yes, then your heart is a good, healthy seedbed for compassion to grow. If your answer is no or sort of, then it means it's fallow ground, ground that may have been plowed before, may not have been plowed at all, but it's hardened like that diamond and the Holy Spirit and his word needs to come and plow the ground so that it can become a seed bed where that seed can be rich and nourished through his word, through the fellowship of the saints, through the sacraments, uh, through the power of his spirit, and it can grow and do that. So it's a simple question. And then what we're going to ask you to do tied into this not as a direct result of it but I want you to take this card home there's no action that you have to do today except take this card home and as you pray and as you seek the Lord and as you talk to the Lord and as you wrestle with your own heart we as a church want to continue to extend our compassion to those in need who are in our communities and around the world And part of the way that we do that is we realize that we're not so proud that we think we can do it. So we partner with ministries and with missionaries who are our heroes, who serve on college campuses, who serve all around the country and around the world. Uh, We partner with them and we support them and send them out. And so we're hoping to increase that number this year. Uh, The numbers in here aren't perfectly accurate. It's somewhere I gave approximates of approximately this many agencies and missionaries and approximately this much money that we support. We tithe our operating budget and then we ask for a gift over and above the tithe to be able to send more and more people out and support them. And so next week we're going to ask you to commit uh, to do that. And so many of you did last year and it was exciting and we're asking you to do that again this year uh, out of a heart that says we want to go and be compassionate. So let's now come and celebrate God in song Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song. It is my heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy, which is our heartbeat. It is our song. It is all that we have. We look and we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. Forgive us when we have not been compassionate and turned our shoulders and plugged our ears. Father, would you not make our hearts hard? But would you come with your spirit and plow that ground again and break our hearts? make them soft and malleable so that we can have your spirit come in us and minister to us so that we can minister in your name. We praise you, our God.